G'day. Welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Merch, the producer and host of The Smile Cases. Ben Andrus is our feature guest this episode. He's also the owner of Black Top Records. We're going to have a candid and open chat with him. Also coming up this very week will be two years since I called it a day on live radio for two specific reasons. But to go into any of the details, I'd have to talk about other people. I haven't done so and I'm not going to start now. What I am going to do is give you a little bit of a teaser to our next episode, and that will be with Kobe Grant from the archives, in fact, from 2011. She's recently been part of a huge television show in Germany and is about to get her music re-released there and across the world. So that will be our special guest next episode here on Radio Notes. But as we do every time, let's find out. In the box. What's been sent in that I can share with you. A Holiday by Lisa Caruso with a team up with the devoted few and these days the guitarist for Sarah Blasco and Marina and the Diamonds, Ben Fletcher. Caruso has not yet failed to produce powerful cuts and it helps that she has such a standout vocal style as well. The cut was called A Holiday and the artiste is Lisa Caruso. Lily Allen's recently had a Japanese wallpaper tour with her and she was right outside of stage taking their stylings all in. Out through Atlantic, Death Cab for Cutie have released Northern Lights, a remix by Japanese wallpaper. Branford Malalis Quartet, who I once had the pleasure of introducing onto the stage in recent days, has released The Secret Between the Shadow and the Soul via OK Records, part of Sony, conversation among the ruins tapping into their classic jazz fused sounds on the record is quite a fave just three from my inbox details on the show's page radionotespodcast.com time now to hear from our feature guest the small case first album lamp opens with cut called cargo pants and plastic people released back in 2003 16 years later their latest murder weather has just come out Last year, they released a three-disc collection called A is for Apple, looking back over the past releases, rarities and live numbers. To murder weather, it was recorded at 460 Studios in Hemlock, in their hometown of Ontario, Canada. Guests on the record include Wheatus's Brendan B. Brown, The Killjoys' Mike Treblecock and single mother's Justice Cra, to name just three. Ben Andress of the group here, Shooting the Breeze with John. Ben Andress, welcome to Radio Notes. I appreciate you having me. It's it's fun. It's it's we've chatted a lot through email before, and it's finally nice to see you in chat, hear a voice, see a face. So this is awesome. Well, speaking about visuals, could you firstly introduce us to someone the listeners will not get a chance to meet? Who is the cat? Special Agent Albert Rosenfield. Mm-hmm. He's named after. Obviously, an FBI agent from Twin Peaks. There's a couple other cats kicking around here that look very similar. There's Cooper, Special Agent Dale Cooper, and then there's Denise, who's uh, Special Agent Denise Bryson. So they're all named after FBI agents. You mentioned Twin Peaks, so I want to refer to something critical of the spoilers a number of years ago on the interwebs. Talk to us about people who spoil things like Twin Peaks. I feel like there should at least be like a 10-year a 10 year gap before you can like post spoilers. I don't know. Like I still haven't watched like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> I've dabbled through the books a bit. I'm very familiar with what it's all about, but you know, there's different people have different paces and, or different things going on or, you know, there's this stuff I I want to watch still. And like, uh, 
especially when it's like um, publications like uh, uh, news blogs and magazines, like they're kind of supposed to be making you intrigued to watch the show. And like, obviously like, you know, I, I think it's their job to advertise, even if it's negative press or positive press to, to draw you into watch the show. But when they ruin it and spoil, it, it makes you like, you're like, well, there's no point of watching it now. I think South Park had like a, a, a thing, not exactly about that, but about how long you can wait for like jokes to be funny. I think it was like, I can't remember how many, it was like something point years, maybe even more than a decade, you know? I thought it'd be a fair question. Uh, TV Black Box at the moment has a bit of that where, where people, one side, of course, is for the spoilers. Don't know why. Obviously, they explain why those are against it as well. You join us on the back, the brand new album, which was launched less than 24 hours ago. Firstly, how was the launch? There was no spoilers. I, uh, I kind of strategically tried to make people intrigued and interested. So instead of just like getting it all out there we did you know one song got put out and like there wasn't like a premiere a week before we kind of made a tried to make a big deal about it make it i guess what what bands should do you know if you make a record you should be proud and excited about it so that's kind of what we did and you know most people heard the record 24 hours before it came out you know on midnight spotify most people heard it or wherever apple or google or deezer i think that's a real one (laughs) My grandmother, uh, she's still alive. God bless her soul. Great woman, I think. She's pretty sweet. She she was like the you know the, the cool grandma where you go over there and she had like the, the Nintendo NES and like you know was playing like Air Fortress and taught you like how to play like Nintendo and like I remember one day like maybe being in grade eight she had like a subscription. Her and grandpa had a subscription to McLean's magazine, which I guess I don't you get that over here in Australia, right? It's yeah. uh it's our it's our Canadian version of Time magazine. It's pretty sweet. But like it was like one of those things where you get a subscription and then like after your subscription ends they're just like, ah, we'll just give you two more years free. <laughs> like so like it was just always around. And uh my grandmother just like there was a little blurb and she's like, Check this out and it was um it was about Napster and I ended up downloading Napster in grade eight. This would have been like ninety ninety eight, ninety nine. And um I posted a bunch of songs that I wrote on there and like kind of started messaging people. And it was kind of a cool platform to kind of even as an independent artist share music back then. It was uh, mind blowing. But for me, I was uh, I was really into B-sides for bands. So I, I scoured Napster and got like every, you know, B-side available. Like I could find bootlegs and stuff that, you know, wasn't released. I, I bought CDs nonstop. So I just thought it was a a neat tool. Ben, when did that music bug start for you? I was born in 86 and it was definitely like probably like around 89, 90. I remember seeing my father like play, you know, he'd pull out Tom Petty, Full Moon Fever. And I thought the only song on that CD was You're So Bad. He played over and over again, trying to learn it on guitar. And then like one day, I remember being like, you know, four or five years old. I mimic his actions, took the CD out of the case, put it in the CD player I got to play and uh, Free Falling came on and it just like blew my mind. I was just like, this isn't that song that he was playing. This isn't You're So Bad. This is something different. I just remember sitting there listening to the whole thing and just just being mind blown that there was something else out there. And then, you know, I know there was other music around and um, 
I think my father was a big influence in that. I remember, you know, he wired up a, you know, tape deck to this like sketchy van that ran on propane, Black Sabbath, America, Midnight Oil being a big band, um, In Excess, Kick, definitely an album that I could probably recite the lyrics to uh, like off the top of my head. How closely did you follow the career and uh, the demise of Michael Hutchins? It's funny that you asked that. Not a lot, I don't like talk to a lot of people about that. It's actually kind of like a thing that like up, upsets me a lot. Mm. Um, I remember being like, I remember the exact spot. I don't remember the time or date, obviously, but I was in a back seat of a car driving with probably like my my mom or grandma or relative, and I remember hearing it on the radio and just being like devastated that man's not gonna make music i have a lot of like in excess memories i remember going to um my mom giving me money to go buy candy at a convenience store and i went in there and it was a spindle of cassette tapes and instead of buying candy i bought in excess yeah in excess just was like always there i remember my uncle phil giving me in excess vhs tapes one was live baby live you know for kick it was like the kick concert on vhs Hutchinson passed away in 1997. I, I was obviously young and I didn't really understand, like, I didn't understand, like, he, you know, his process was a little bit different. Like, my father passed away uh, from a heart attack when I was seven. So death was introduced at a very young age. So, like, a, a not attracted. I wasn't, like, really, you know, I didn't find it romantic. I, I I got really upset about death and was always really thought about it a lot. And uh, so, you know, when that happened with Michael, I was uh, aware, you know, that he's gone and he'll never make music again. And it kind of, it really upset me a bunch. Big influence growing up. Kick was definitely like a, a big album. What song from In Excess, though, grabbed you? We mentioned a bit about the albums there, but what were the songs from? Devil Inside. Uh, definitely I have this like weird memory too about being like four years old really young I just remember being I don't know where it was my parents were probably somewhere hanging out in a different room maybe smoking marijuana or something us kids were left in another room and I remember in excess just being on Blair and Devil Inside came on and I just remember just putting it on repeat every time the, the song ended just hitting the start button again and being on this like plastic pedal bicycle and just going around in a circle, just being like a wild little kid. And I just remember there was just something about that song when it was just this pure, even as a child and, and even still to this day, it, it resonates the same. It has this like pure instinct. We all, I don't know, even especially now, I think now more, I, I kind of get the song a lot more, but it's, uh, that was definitely a big song. There's one other Australian band I want to mention before we go any further because it's so indicative of your vocal style, I think, that of Peter Garrett and Midnight Oil. Midnight Oil is a weird band because I never really listened to a lot of them growing up. There was a cassette tape, you know, in my mum's car growing up. There was memories going back, but like Super Tramp, uh, Breakfast in America, uh, Midnight Oil... Uh, Blue Sky Mining? Yeah, that's Is one. that a record? Uh, yeah, so I remember that being kicking around in the glove box. Uh, so Blue Sky Mining was a big uh, album that kind of um, did it for me with them. But, like, coming back as, like, an adult, I never really listened to a lot of uh, them. 
a Canadian band called Alexis on Fire did a Midnight Oil cover a few years back and, uh, you know, made me kind of dive back into their catalog a bit. They've never been an influence, but it's it's kind of interesting, that comparison. Vocally, is there an influence of note, Ben? I don't know what the, the, the vocal thing is, because I don't find myself like a good singer, so I try to emphasize different words in the lyrics more so to to do that. So, like, I find maybe artists that do that. Like, there's a, a, a Canadian guy named Matthew Good uh, from Vancouver who a lot of people compare me to. I get, like, weird comparisons once in a while. I get, like, the Tom Waits, but I don't think that at all because Tom Waits is really, 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 really good. And, like, I don't know. But there's uh, a band called The Hold Steady. A couple people have kind of compared it to. What about yourself? What do you believe that vocal style comes from? From from your listening of music over the years, what have you tapped into to get the vocal style right? Like, Kirk Cobain, like, you listen to, like, you listen to Nirvana and they're just really, really good songs. And like, to be honest, Kurt Cobain wasn't that good of a singer. I don't think anyways, like he, you know, some of the stuff sounded, you know, uh, on point and on key, but a lot of it was just noise and it was awesome. Like stuff like that. I listened to a lot of Mike Patton kind of in my high school days. He's obviously a, a phenomenal singer, phenomenal. And I ended up kind of mimicking some of the stuff. We're currently in conversation with Ben Andrus from The Smile Case. The latest album is called Murder Weather. You started off as a solo project back in 2003. Lamp was the release that I saw back in 2003. What was the decision to go from solo to band for you? Louder. There was like, sometimes you get discouraged a bit. Like I, I'd take odd shows without doing the proper research sometimes. So I get there and like, if you're playing acoustic in a loud bar, there's like three people in the front watching and then everyone else is watching the, you know, the game on TV and just being loud or obnoxious. And it just wasn't cool vibes. And, or there were certain bands I'd want to play with or certain shows I'd want to get on. And I thought it was the next logical step to get, you know, friends of mine to play on the record. So, and that kind of solved a couple issues. It kind of helped, evolved the songs into what I heard as I kind of wrote them. And it also allowed me to play other shows and, you know, play shows and feel a little bit better, but just rocking out, you know, you can just rock it with the acoustic guitar. But like I said, there's some shows where it made more sense. So, but I switched back and forth. Uh, My drummer's in another band. My bass player is kind of on hiatus sometimes. And uh, so uh, a lot of the shows I still play acoustic, so we kind of switch back and forth. So I just play the song stripped down, play them electric. Kind of never know what you're going to get if you go to a Smile Case show. Apart from the established band now that you do have, a number of feature guests make their way onto Murder Weather. Yeah, a lot of them are bands I grew up loving as a kid or, you know, just met throughout the years. I run a record label too called Blacktop Records. Uh, and release CDs, tapes, vinyl, and all that fun stuff. There's some of the the bands that we've uh, put stuff out for. Artists from Fort Wayne, Indiana, named Gray Gordon, did some synth and sang on a song. Singer from a band called Boys Night Out did some screams on a song. And uh, Single Mothers, which are kind of blowing up right now, their guitar player was on a song. He did our music video, too, for a song called Dissonant on the record which is fun brandon 
Brown from Wheatus, uh, which is kind of a popular band. I'm sure you're aware of them. Mm-hmm. They're popular. Teenage Dirtbag was a good song back in the day. Still is. The song's called The Gone Is Good that he's on. It's by one of the most beautiful songs I feel like I've ever written. Why do you think it is so beautiful? It feels like a dream. Uh, the lyrics, well, I guess the lyrics are kind of about a dream, but it's just, I feel like it's beautiful for me in a few different ways. Like Teenage Dirtbag obviously is a huge song. It just feels pretty sweet that a person who could, you know, never have to work a day job again because of a song he wrote, you know, thinks that a song that I wrote is cool enough for him to sing on, like feels like special to me. Like that's really cool. Mm. A lot of different people take it different ways. I've showed it to a few people beforehand. And then um, the album, once it came out, I got a lot of people coming up about that song at the CD release show last night. Some people were like, is that about your dad? Is that about this person? Is that about this? And someone else is like, oh, oh, this song reminds me of, you know, this and that. So it's just me. It's special to me because I really don't remember what the song was about. I don't think it was really about anyone in particular. It just sounded like, you know, even my brother was like, is that about dad? And I'm like, "Ah, maybe it is. I think it's about everyone. Like, it's not about anyone in particular. BBB is still an outstanding singer-songwriter, apart from, of course, the hit that we mentioned. How did you feel about the collaboration when you were working through the process of that song, getting someone of BBB's standard to join you on that song? Our connection goes crazy. Like, I honestly feel like we're, he's like a brother from, like, another mother somehow. I do feel that somehow, yeah. Years ago, I had a friend who was kind of like, he was trolling me on the internet, maybe, I don't know. I felt that way, but maybe not. I was into a lot of 90s bands like um, the Killjoys, for example. Mike Mike Treblecox on a record. I, I forgot about him. Can't forget about Mike. Uh, a lot of 90s bands and early 2000 bands. And I, I started signing you know, a few of them on the label and putting stuff out for stuff I was really doing. It was like 3 a.m. And my friend sent me this message. And he's like, you should sign Weedus. And I'm like what's Weedus been up to? And he was probably just at a bar in her teenage dirtbag. And so I went to their website and I downloaded the, uh, the lightning EP, the uh, pop songs, death volume one and two. And my head exploded. I've, I've never heard songwriting like that. It, it was like so progressive. The vocals were so spot on. The lyrics were just so special. So I sent him an email and ended up uh, going down to Brooklyn. Coincidentally enough, the same weekend we planned to meet up, an artist on my label, Jonah Matranga, was playing a show at the Mercury Lounge. So I met up with Brandon and we hung out and I just talked about putting out records. I mentioned that Jonah was playing at the Mercury Lounge and he's like, the Mercury Lounge? And he's like, that's where we got signed by Sony a decade ago. Like we played a showcase and a rep from Sony brought us out to the Mercury Lounge and signed us. And so it was like this weird full circle thing for him and for me it was pretty awesome brandon went out to the mercury lounge we watched jonah we just had a great night i had a couple of drinks and then i ended up signing them to my record label in canada put out a couple records together you know their last the valentine ep or lp we did a cassette tape for and i've now since signing them i've been able to respect and understand his songwriting and where it comes from and love what he does everything's amazing and so yeah aside from teenage dirtbag having brandon on the record just as a friend and as uh knowing how beautiful a songwriter he is that that's super special 
Ben joins us to talk about The Smile Case. Their brand new record is Murder Weather. If you don't mind, a couple of questions regarding the record label because we are sort of speaking about it there. It's called Blacktop Records. The importance of the physical release for you, Ben. How are you finding that? Has it declined? Has it increased? It's always declined because I kind of got into it like, you know, 12 years ago and that it was right. I remember CDs being hip, CD stores everywhere. I remember having even like a big business plan thinking like, you know, invested money into artists being like, this is going to be awesome. And then it, it was just right at that decline. I remember having a distro deal and then one of the CD stores, you know, the chain of them shut down. People were buying stuff, ordering online. And it was at that odd time where a lot of people still didn't maybe have credit cards or it was like a lot of it was a younger crowd that was buying stuff. So it was before there was all these visa debits and, you know, a lot of people didn't have PayPal exactly set up. It was like this like neat time, I think. I got into it when it was declining. So for me, it's always been like up and down. There's been bands I've signed where we've done like a thousand CDs and I still have like still had 800 like sitting in an attic i actually did like a little spring cleaning this year and and it was nice because i got to hang out with some old bands on the label that broke up and i drove out to the you know one of the members house hung out for a bit dropped off i'm like hey i'll, I'll drop off his spindle cds and i drop off like 600 cds he's like oh that's a lot <laughs> but like i'm like oh, it happens but some stuff sells out you know it's legalized gambling but i find doing unique stuff is fun uh cassette tapes are cool 100 cassette tapes 200 make it limited with a download card as a, a label manager as someone who's responsible for other artists apart from yourself when you release how do you take that responsibility on board i feel like i have to be in the middle like i, I don't want to be like like so a lot of the stuff i like you know i license it's already been recorded there's some stuff that's been organic from scratch where the band's you know, demoed, went to the studio, recorded. I don't like to be, like, hanging out at the studio being like, do this, oh, I think that would be good, like, kind of getting in that producer role. I kind of like to give distance and space that way and let them create. But I get invested in the music as in I want to, you know, I feel like it's something I'd listen to and love and I want other people to hear. Yeah, when, when we do it, I try to not get as overwhelmed because I know I'm dealing with someone else's art and it's special to them more than it is to me. And it's not about selling the records at this point in time. It's about presenting their art in the way they want. I know that sounds like a fantasy, but it's true. I'm a musician myself. So uh, when I put out my own stuff or if someone else were to put it out for me, I'd want that same respect. You're definitely not a suit. You're someone who's actually suited to them because you do it yourself. Yeah, like I've, I would sleep in the van with the band. Lisa Loeb, what's the connection? How did that work out? Once again, diving in in the 90s, big Lisa Loeb fan. I think I was trying to book her in Canada or I messaged her. I found her online somewhere. I don't know how. She was a mutual friend with someone. I'm like, whoa, that's really Lisa Loeb. You know, if you ever want to put someone on in Canada or whatever, let me know. And then like, Maybe like two years after that, she was playing a show in Canada, probably about like an hour away from where I live. And I was just like, hey, you're going to be in my neck of the woods, uh, you know, looking forward to the show. Uh, she actually messaged me back saying like, hey, we should talk about getting some uh, Canadian vinyl together for the shows. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> and we kind of worked it out. Big, crazy, fun stuff. The pressing plant that I we pressed at ended up going bankrupt and our stock got like half pressed and stuck in a warehouse and 
we had to rescue it halfway across the country and uh so they didn't end up that show but they got ready and we pulled through and uh since then um you know i've booked lisa a few times and it's actually really weird too anytime she's in canada like around southern ontario i'm her merch guy so like they don't hire a merch guy or anything i go out and it's just funny like being at like you know like this like nice theater and it's like a lot of suited people at a lisa Loeb concert and there's like me wearing like a ramon shirt and like eating a banana being like hey you want to buy i do (laughs) she's like hands down like i've met a lot of people in the industry and like one of the sweetest nicest talent i I, like i could like write like a like a hundred plus descriptive words about how positive uh, of a person lisa Loeb is I've had a lot of good times with Lisa Loeb's crew. Music videos, there was a, a station called The Box, and it was a 1-900 number, and you would call in, vote like a jukebox, and pay two bucks, and get your your video would go on next. And I had like VHS tapes and would tape like music video after music video. And I remember like Lisa Loeb. It's just so neat that like all these like artists that like I grew up like just being like inspiring me and making me want to do this are like friends now. It's kind of, it's awesome. It's fun. It makes me appreciate music more. What I like about it, particularly with the Loeb and the BBB connection, is they had the hit back then, but they're still producing such great music now as well. And you get a chance to share that through your management skills. Yeah, like Lisa, if people check out what she's doing on Amazon, especially if you have kids, she's put out a couple kids records that are like, I have a three-year-old daughter and my son right now is a year and four five months if he's being stinky about something or like he's just upset i'll say you want to listen to rafi and he'll be like huh? and he'll just like run over to like the speaker I, we have this little bluetooth speaker and like he's like anytime you say rafi like he knows like and it's just like i i don't know man i've probably listened to like a hundred different rafi songs in the past two days i i've like my like top artist on like spotify is like raffy who is raffy you're in australia i forgot we're the wiggles so wiggles are good man i'll dial e for emma on netflix any day for a child raffy is a, a children's artist i think he's like worldwide known like one of the leading lights raffy is virtually with a light playful style of song and storytelling born in egypt and raised in Canada, Rafi initially launched his uh, music career in Toronto as a blah, da, da, da. He got so, anyways, he's born in Egypt. He lives in Canada. Kids love him and parents love him more. He like calls like his parents that come out to the shows, he calls them like Beluga grads because they listen to him when they were kids. So, like, now they're like, because he has a song called Baby Beluga. It's like Baby Beluga in the deep blue sea. Do, 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 do. and it's all like he has a song like down by the bay where the watermelons grow or he has a song called a uh, banana phone do, 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 do. banana phone and it's just like about a, a phone that's a banana and then like it, and then it's a gramophone like a grandma he uh, entertains <laughs> actually it's fun my three-year-old daughter is like obsessed with labyrinth which is like pretty awesome like she thinks she's gonna marry david bowie like I don't know how to break it to her that like he's passed on mm. and that also that not even that like like even if he hasn't like it, it would never happen I don't know how to like as a father don't know how to like discuss death and like 
you know, stuff like that with kids yet, but I'll let them have their fantasy. So she's obsessed with Labyrinth. Uh, she's going to marry Jareth, and uh, she makes me search the house for goblins before bed. But the other day, I showed her Matilda. Yeah. Now she's like, she bought a dolly the other day with her mom, and now um, she named her doll Matilda, and she's obsessed with the movie Matilda. It's funny, like, I showed her Matilda, and she, like, asked questions the whole movie. Usually I'd be annoyed. I'd be with a friend and they'd be like asking questions during a movie and I'd be like so annoyed. <laughs> and then like, but my three-year-old daughter, I love it. At the end of the movie, she's like, can you put the show on again? I'm like, oh my God. So I ended up watching Matilda like five times in like two days. I like real doll books. And I think uh, a lot of my influence, I'd say even with music, uh, would have been like with children's books, like real doll growing up. A lot of film stuff, I would say shows up in like the lyrical content especially with murder weather it's a very visual record so i'm kind of looking forward to writing the, the kind of the follow-up having an honest record about the f i don't even know like i'd say the fears of being a dad or something but i don't really have any fears i'm having a, a pretty good time with it does it make you think back to your own relationship with your father and how that all happened in a way, like, because I want to kind of be here as long as possible for them. Yeah. So, obviously, like, kind of, there was that fear, and I, that gets put into the songwriting a lot already, and definitely will now, on the third record, will be that, because I'm getting around that same age he was, but, like, as well, too, I don't think I participated as some of the same extracurricular activities as he may have. The 80s they're a pretty rough time. And so uh, I, it's weird. Like I have this, like I don't have this thing in my head or that mental thing where I'm like, Oh, like I'm going to have that same demise. And then my children are going to be fatherless. But at the same time, like I, I want to make sure that the things I do and there are probably like some habits I do have that, you know, I, I used to drink a lot. I, I, I probably maybe have a half a beer, even last night at the show, drank in like months someone bought me a beer and it sat on the uh speaker and like it vibrated off and i spilt my the whole beer got spilled i had a sip of beer last night at the cd release show so it felt nice to like being someone who would like go at the back door and vomit be able to you know go into a bar and not turn down free drinks and not drink there's songs on murder weather about that i know my growing up would have probably been more enjoyable with a father around. So I'd assume that theirs would be too. What point, and maybe it was fatherhood that you said, yeah, time the golden Amber and I had a little rest. Yeah, that was, I don't know if there was like a certain episode or, or situation that, that occurred. I think it was just when my girlfriend was pregnant with her, our son, I didn't have a car or I wasn't, I, I never had a license. Like my whole life I would, um, uh, you know, I lived in cities or towns. I took buses. I had money. I would just pay people to do things. I had, I, I didn't have a, I kind of had like a fear of driving, not like a fear. I was just like, I'm a bad driver was just what I always had in my head. I don't know why when my girlfriend was pregnant I, and my daughter lives in, uh, in the city in Toronto so I, you know, she lives like an hour and a half away from me. So I have to, you know, go see her and pick her up. And that's a different story. I was on tour and I got a call and uh, I found out uh, four months after 
someone else thought my daughter was their daughter. They did a DNA test and he wasn't the father. And uh, she's like, well, it's yours. And so like, yeah. So that was, that's a different story, which I think might come up in the songwriting a bit too, for the third record. It's been like a, a, a crazy three years, but I, I feel really fun and confident about it. I have to start driving to pick up my daughter and then having a son. And then, so I, when I got my car and license, obviously alcohol and driving a car, especially a car with kids in it is a, a big no-no and does not mix at all. That I think was a big part of me quitting drinking. And it sounds like there was a few months there where you didn't know that you were a father as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there was like a good four months. That was like three years ago. I was on in tour in the States and played some shows and I came home and was waiting at a bus station and, and got that call. And it was like a process. I think even after that call, it took like maybe two weeks or so for me to like go and meet my daughter. And then when I did, I was just kind of like, yeah, that's, that's my daughter. Couldn't imagine not meeting her. Like it, it's, uh, I wish I knew those extra four months and was there kind of thing. Yeah. But it is what it is. And uh, her mom, we're really good friends with, which is cool. So it makes it easier for that whole co-parenting thing. Megan Wright, who's she? Because uh, I played some of her music on the wireless. She's on the label. Um, I played a show with her in New York a bunch of years ago and just fell in love with her music. Put a CD out for her. And we had her actually for Murder Weather do the, the layout. So... I like to keep uh, close with the family and make sure we uh, involve everyone as possible. So uh, I wanted her to sing on the record because she has a beautiful voice, but uh, that didn't pan out this time around. Next time. Someone else we mentioned in passing, and I really want to talk more about, if you don't mind, on the record, Murder Weather by The Smile Case, our guest is Ben Andres, is that of the Killjoys. Mike, how did you get him on board? They were a band, actually the first, I would say the first, first band i ever saw but the first band i ever saw was kim mitchell which there's actually a song on here called kim mitchell's patio lanterns this is funny which is actually the the song that mike plays on so the first band i ever saw was kim mitchell he's like this canadian legend he was in a band called max webster i saw him play like a free show in a park somewhere when i was like five six years old or something it was the first concert i ever went to first real concert I ever went to of a rock band was The Killjoys, a band called Junk House, and it was at a, a fair somewhere, an outdoor show. Killjoys were a big staple on uh, 90s radio here in Canada. Juno Winners, uh, which is our, our Canadian version of the Grammy. Really big fan of the band, so when I found out they are playing a show, I was in grade 8, which would have, I guess, placed me at like... 14 15 years old or something and i had my mom bring me out to the show and i i saw my first rock and roll show i lied to people all the time and tell them the killjoys was the first band i ever saw however it was kim mitchell i'm just kind of embarrassed to tell people it's kim mitchell because <laughs> everyone's first concert was kim mitchell here in canada over the years do the label stuff and i ended up playing a show in hamilton it's all this weird spiderweb stuff, how it works out. I played a show in Hamilton, Ontario, here in Canada, years ago. And I ran into this guy named Lee Skinner, who I was college with and who I paid to design the first ever Blacktop Records website. 
And so it was just like random. I ran into this guy and he's like, hey, I'm going over to this bar. There's a Velvet Underground tribute band playing. Come hang out. So I went over to this other random bar and then like this band was playing and they were doing a Velvet Underground tribute band and different singers were coming up and all this and it was fun. And the guitar player, I'm like, I recognize that guy. And it ended up being Mike from the Killjoys. And I'm like, no way. And like, that's the first band I ever saw. So then after the show, we ended up, uh, you know, chatting for a bit. I told him how I was running a label and, you know, we traded contact info and that's pretty much how we met. I ended up booking him for shows. I signed the Killjoys to actually put out a record for them, but then they kind of like broke up play when they can. Mike was in a band called Simply Saucer as well, too, which was kind of popular back in the day. Uh, and they still play. And he uh, scores uh, film scores for horror movies. Uh, really cool dude. Neat spiderweb kind of thing where the first band I ever saw played on a song I wrote about the first real band I ever saw. <laughs> so, And that song's about quitting drinking. Kim Mitchell's Patio Lanterns. Because Kim Mitchell has a song called Patio Lanterns. So when I play it, people think I'm covering Patio Lanterns, but I'm not. I'm just being clever. I get the feeling, Ben, that this next record isn't too far away for you. I don't want to wait like four or five years. Like it, anticipation killed me. Like even now that it's out, it feels like it's not out for some reason. It's weird. Maybe it hasn't kicked in that like, you know, people are listening to it and that. It's funny because I've been starting to listen to Tom Petty's Damn the Torpedoes, which was like kind of his third record. This is going to be our third full band record. So I've been kind of like, that was their hit kind of that got him up. And I was thinking like, man, I should just make a, a Damn the Torpedoes. Or if I want to talk about movies, I should make like a Return of the Jedi. Like, You've got a number of guitars behind you as we chat. What kind of guitars are you proud of having? What have been some of the stable mates of your guitar family during your recording career? I've always just had acoustics. So I just like had this like Yamaha that was like, I got a Yamaha. I play acoustic show and like I'd play shows and people would always try to talk gear with me and I'd have no clue what they're talking about still i'm 32 years old i've been playing for a decade still uh barely string my guitar but i used uh, the angel beach guitar on the last one which uh my cousin delbert got me it's painted with the angel beach album cover artwork it is a squire fender stratocaster which i actually had to look to remember what it was so this is usually what i use for shows and, and record on I had an Epiphone for a bit that I was using. That was uh, my friend Justin's that I was using at shows. I just borrowed. Other than that, actually, this is hilarious. I'll show you this. So last night I played a show. Which was the launch of the album. The CD release show for Air Murder Weather last night. I've just been playing acoustic shows like the past year and a half or two years. So I went to go get my electric guitar and I noticed my high E string was broken. And I'm like... Oh, I'm going to have to restring my guitar, stretch out the strings five hours before the show. Like, this ain't good. And I'm like, so I went to go buy a pack of strings and it was like $10, $20 for two packs of strings. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy two packs of string. I'm going to restring my guitar. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to rent a guitar for two days. And I, I rented a guitar for a week. Cheaper for me to rent this Fender Stratocaster here. <laughs> I rented a Strat to play last night and tonight. 
so I didn't have to restring my guitar. That's laziness for you. I so knew there was a good story in asking you about guitars, and I'm glad that I did. There's um, a church across the street that's filled with antiques, and every every other Saturday they open up, have antiques, and we found this like classical guitar there, and it's like, I don't know what it is. Like There's no name on it or anywhere, but it just has this like, Just has a neat sound to it, a neat feel. Might write some stuff on it. I don't know. Like, I want to get more guitars and be be kind of like a gearhead a bit. But like, my girlfriend would be like, "No, right? You have you only need one of each because you're not going to play them all at once." What is the music question, if you don't mind me asking, between you two? Is did you meet at a gig? Uh, do you share the same interests or? I don't know. It was probably like an internet dating, like so, you know, somewhere like Tinder or something. I don't remember how we met exactly. I remember our first date was at a pub underneath of uh, the apartment I lived at called the Copper Mug, and I was drinking a juice box when she showed up, and I brought my juice box in, and then the the waitress is like, "You can't bring that in here," and I'm like, "It's a juice box," and then like I kind of got in this so like, not like a real argument, but like I'm just like, "It's a juice box," like come on, <laughs> and then I'm just like, "I'm gonna order dinner." I'm just like, you know have a drink i just have a juice box she's like well you could have vodka in there and i'm like yes i put vodka inside the tiny little hole in the juice box the needle and put a straw in it so i could come down here and drink it with my beer just a weird guy i wanted to drink a juice box leave me alone so that was like her first date she's in a band too they're called whoopso they tour like a lot you know they've just toured mexico canada east to west they're a pretty rad band obviously with babies and stuff like that's like with babies and her being in a band and me being in a band like we juggle it pretty well and it works out pretty great she's super awesome and like i mean if i brought a guitar home she probably wouldn't kill me but she would be like she'd probably just like look at me and be like you don't need that my favorite one is this uh martin though which there was a MC Lars, he's a hip-hop artist from the States. MC Lars actually has done quite a bit of stuff with Weedus. There's a song with um, MC Lars, Weedus, and Weird Al Yankovic. Super awesome song. It's called True Player For Real. MC Lars I put a tape out for, and he was selling his guitar, and he ended up on eBay. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted it, obviously, to be fair so his fans could get a chance to potentially buy it. But at the same time, I'm like, this is a really nice guitar. And I ended up putting in the highest bid for it and getting it. So I ended up buying a guitar off eBay from a rapper on my record label. I'm really happy I did because it's a really nice sounding guitar. And I have written a few things on it and played on it. Other than that, I'm thinking about trying to write on the piano a little bit. Like it's like... piano until about we got this in the house like about a year came from our parents house and so i've been kind of fiddling around on that a bit and kind of if you can play guitar you should be able to play piano and vice versa so it's the same thing but just instead of six different lines on a guitar it's just one big line on a piano what you were saying is one of your artists you sort of buried the lead but one of your artists has actually worked with weird al yankovic yeah <laughs> Which is pretty uh, crazy to think. Grammy award-winning Weird Al Yankovic. That was one of the most beautiful moments of the Grammys. Actually, 
when I think about it, two artists that I have put records out for have worked with Weird Al. Because Green Jello also worked with Weird Al. There was actually an episode of LTV where back in like the 90s, uh, Bill Manspeaker had uh, the Green Jello studios in Hollywood. And uh, MTV had the the Weird Al show or whatever on it. And an episode was filmed at the studio there. And there's an episode where Weird Al throws the singer Green Jello off of like a, a balcony or something. Um, but they, I think Weird Al, I think, I feel like they did a song together or Weird Al was in their video or there is some sort of Weird Al Green Jello connection. And I feel like it's involved recording together, but potentially not actually now that I think about it. Either or two artists have that Weird Al connection, which is pretty cool. Well, let's get back to the smile case. Ben Andres joins us to speak on that just minutes left together. So let's round this baby out and bring it on home. What is the plan for this record's release? As someone who actually is the brains behind a record company, Blacktop Records. Trying to do it pretty organically. Like I said, just getting it out. Not really like spending, you know, a lot of ad money, just, uh, you know, hoping that, you know, people like you and other want to listen, play a song, and then hopefully other people who listen to people like you pick it up and are into it. Other than that, that's about it. Just doing, hopefully, reviews come in, people are into it, uh, playing some shows, doing some stuff in the States coming up uh, in the spring and kind of juggling that with being a dad, but main goals would be obviously uh making it over to a places where i haven't been i feel that once once this new baby pops out and the the kids are in that like kind of a little bit older stage and i like i said i i have no clue like you know when and how i'm i'll be able to do this stuff so i'm not planning too far ahead i'm kind of taking this release as just putting it out there in the world playing a few shows Final question to Blacktop Records, because that's your other hat. The next release from them will be? It's a good one. <laughs> I've been, like, so wrapped up with Murder Weather that we haven't really, like, scheduled, like, a couple things in the works. Like, we just released EP for a metal band called Pale Drone. Mm. So we're still kind of riding off of that a little bit and just kind of promoting that release. But we haven't, like, really dove in and, like, kind of planned or talked to too many people but what's what's what and what's going on actually i've been like kind of murder weathering it for the last little bit so a couple like artists like i know are, are that we're working with are like kind of recording and, and stuff i know megan right has a has like a, a four song ep that she's kind of been sitting on that hasn't been pressed physically i know she's not touring too much once again with the kid and stuff but i would love to convince her to you know put that out so a lot of it's just kind of up in the air. Blacktop, I guess, has been put on hold for murder weather a little bit. Once uh, this gets, you know, out there a little bit, um, I'm going to sit there and kind of recuperate and think what, what the next game plan is and uh, who we should put out a record for. Well, it sounds like the forecast is for murder weather in the not-too-distant future for now. Ben from The Smile Case, thanks very much for joining Radio Notes. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Ben Andres of The Smile Case. Latest album, Murder Weather, out on Blacktop Records, and more on them can be found at thesmallcase.com.
Should just mention there'll be a little bit more of the conversation with Ben that didn't make it for this particular episode in a future episode or two. A little bit regarding Glenn Meyer and also when he was the YMCA music coordinator. Fascinating story from Ben I'll share with you in a future time. You're listening to Radio Notes. John here taking you through. Good to have you in company via the podcast, FM, AM or via the digital wireless. However you might be listening, you can get in contact with me. Radio notes at writeme.com. That's radio notes at w r i t e m e dot com. Off the charts. In the smile cases, neck of the woods, the top albums Avril Lavigne's Head Above Water. Number two, A Star is Born, the soundtrack at three, Bohemian Rhapsody, the soundtrack. Laura Fabian is in at six with various Grammy nominees, an album thereof, in at seven. To the Australian Recording Industry Association chart, Adelaide's Hilltop Hoods, The Great Expanse, lands in number one album spot in its first week of release. In excess, the very best of drops from 44 to 48 for its 239th week in the album charts. Number one single, Shallow, have you heard that one? It's by someone called Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, I'm told. Jumping post-Grammys from sixth from its 21st time in the chart. Always Remember Us This Way re-enters, in fact, at 39. Another cut from Lady Gaga. Oh, and also the Hilltop Hood single, Exit Sign, is new at number 44. Their Leave Me Lonely hit rises to 11. That's some of the action across the charts for the last couple of days. With five minutes left of this episode, this show, number nine it is if you're playing along at home, I just want to, I guess, give you a behind the scenes kind of feel of where we're at because I've always said that the first 10 episode shows would give us a feel, a bit of a vibe of where we go forward from 11 onwards, which isn't too far away. So I thought I'd take a moment to let you know where we're at and what's happening. Before I do that, I want to mention that uh, Matt Saywood, who's the guy behind Play Podcast, which is a website that gives a one link link to podcast, has done a very special link for Radio Notes. It's playpodca.st backslash radio notes. It's always awkward to spell out websites, so I'll do this very slowly and awkwardly. It's playpodca.st backslash radio notes one word. And what that particular link will do, it will go direct to your on your Android device to the podcast app, which is on Android phones. The iPhone will go to the Apple Podcasts. Mac will go to the Mac version. PC will go to the equivalent website for that as well. That's just one link so you can subscribe if you haven't already and get each week right into your device with no hassles. It's P-L-A-Y P-O-D-C-A dot S-T backslash radio notes. And as I mentioned, Matt Saywood, who runs and organizes that himself, has been kind enough to organize that one link for you. I'll have it in the show notes at radionotespodcast.com as well for this episode to make it way easier for you. We're coming up to episode 10, which will be the last one of what I'll be seeking feedback. And I've been having a look at what you've been saying, particularly those listening via the radio that have been very vocal, which has been great. 
I'll be keeping that on board as we start on episode 11 as the way that we'll do it moving on forward. Speaking about episodes, coming up next, we'll be having a chat with Kobe Grant. In fact, it's from the archives from 2011. Very excited to share that with you. A little bit more from Ben Andrus of The Smile Case, who you heard today talking about some other issues. We'll be sharing that. And also Mosquito Coast, hopefully we'll be catching up with them. We do have Rachel Eckroth on the way. She is married to the bassist of David Bowie's last record as an outstanding musician in her own right. In fact, opening for Rufus Wainwright and his worldwide tour and performing in his band. Rachel Eckroth, that chat with her about her album coming up very shortly on Radio Notes via this very channel that you're currently listening to. Also, a chat with Sia Furla is on the way from the archives as well. With no further ado, let's head into some... Radio Notes Discoveries. Meripire Lately has been the tune of the week for me. Under three minutes of length, perfect for any hour of the wireless to play. Clear vocals, driven guitar and punchful of emotions to boot. Before I go, wish to share a debut record I've pre-ordered myself out of my own money that's out on the eve of Record Store Day and available on glorious transparent gold vinyl. Bats, B-A-T-T-S, says Space Concept Record, The Grand Tour, featuring the singles Mars and Gun, as well as Little White Lies and the one-take, last-added cut, Folding Chairs. Oh yes, Shame is also makes an appearance on this release, and I'll share the clip to it over at radionotespodcast.com. I'm so pumped for this release. I had the pleasure of sharing some of their earlier cuts on the wireless, and they never ever have disappointed and as i mentioned those singles that are out already together with an album transparent gold vinyl that's bats called the grand tour that about does it for this episode of radio notes thanks very much for your company as i've mentioned a couple of times already a huge one next week kobe grant from the archives in 2011 will be our guest and obviously in the next few weeks rounding out the feedback and getting ready for that new direction as well i'm very cautious that i'm getting a bit of bleed from some band called the red hot chili peppers who are playing down the road as i record and so if you're hearing a bit of a guitar grumble that is who it's from radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links web design there by steve davis theme music by martin kennedy and all india radio i'm tammy weller john merch is the producer and host based in adelaide south australia 